This is the Thrive Podcast with Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. And now, Pastor Fred Jeff Smith. Hello, welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, Pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy that you chose to either view and or listen to this edition of the Thrive Podcast. We always want to get input from you. You can write us at fredjeffsmith at cox.net, fredjeffsmith, all one word, at cox.net, just to let us know how we're doing with regard to to this podcast, and we appreciate your continued support. I'm very happy today to welcome Ms. Kieselin Bird here with us and uh, to learn more about her story. She's a native of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. She's doing wonderful things uh, in our community after having spent some time in some other places, but she's back yeah. home now, <laughs> and she's doing wonderful things in Baton Rouge. Uh, I came to know about her because she works with our audio-video ministry here at Shiloh and I wanted to have the opportunity to learn more about her. I got a brief bio, and, 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 and it, it's, it, it had a lot of interesting information on it. But the thing that really stood out to me is that you're a stunt woman. Of sorts, you know. So talk about that. How did you come into doing stunt work? Uh, just... I was brave enough to be that crazy person to allow them to do it, uh, to toss me or throw me down the stairs or whatever the case may be, you mm-hmm. know. I was like, no, no, I got it. That, look, that looks fun. <laughs> so, Did you have any previous training on how to fall and things of that well, sort? Well, in theater, you briefly go over it, but it's not usually until you have to use it that it really comes into play. Mm-hmm. You learn how to fall and how to react, and, you know, and then they have people that coordinate the... Um, every move that you're making okay so if it's a fight sequence then they're telling you okay you, you're gonna go through it like in slow motion first it, it, like a dance step almost okay so you'll be left one right two you know and they're telling you like where to punch where to swing and mm-hmm. so as you're doing that this person knows their part of the dance which is I move this way or I move that way or whatever if you, if you don't if you don't duck you get hit so and that's, that's what I wanted key. to ask you. <laughs> When you all are coordinating this, I'm sure at some point in time somebody misses their move. Oh, I've hit. Have you ever been hit? I have. No, but I've been tossed. I unexpectedly because I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. I thought they were just talking about you know what we were gonna do. Uh huh. And he was showing the guy like what you know he would have to do in the scene. Uh huh. I didn't realize I was a part of the demonstration. So, <laughs> unbeknownst to me, I go sliding down the hallway, bouncing off the walls like a little you know like a little video wow. game and I was just like and I just kind of laid there I was like I'm okay <laughs> I wasn't ready <laughs> so but it's it's strangely it's fun but I grew up with boys so I played football basketball and all these you things you played football them. yes Sandlot were you any good I was awesome were you fast I was fast okay wow and I was the could you catch you see, I could catch we, we, I could run we wouldn't let the girls play with us unless they could actually catch the ball let me tell so. you something <clears throat> I could catch the ball uh-huh. I could run the ball I was quarterback sometimes but okay the best so you could throw the ball I could throw the ball okay from here to the school <laughs> don't even test me all right and I was the best tackle oh wow yeah okay Okay, well then I'm My brother's like, go low, push him out. I'm like, okay. 
Well, so, I don't want to mess with you on that. No, nah, you don't want to do that. Tell me about <laughs> Kieselyn Bird. Who is she? I don't know. She is evolving. Okay. So she is constantly evolving and growing and learning, and I like that. I can't say that I'm one particular person. I do a multitude of things. Mm -hmm. I wear many, many, many hats uh, in my life and in my career, and I enjoy doing things. And, and my motto for life is if you enjoy doing it, do it. If you don't like doing something, move on. Okay. Don't make people miserable around you. Mm -hmm. So I am a firm believer in you know going with what makes you happy and, most importantly, I learned the hard way, pray about it first before you jump. Right. So. You were raised in Ebenezer Baptist Church yeah. uh, up in Scotlandville. Yes. Uh, uh, I know your former pastor very well, Reverend Eddie Salsa, a fine mm -hmm. gentleman, one of the finest men uh, in this community. Yes, my little uh, man. <laughs> uh, so church was a part of your life from early on. Oh, early Talk on. about that. We, uh, growing up in my very younger years, we actually lived next door, well, two, two houses down from the church. Okay. So we would walk to church or I would play possum and I would get carried because I would pretend to be asleep. I didn't want to walk. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, it's the, it's the truth. Mm -hmm. So my mom knew. But um, we, I grew up in the church and uh, my grandmother, my mom, my aunts. At one point, my family was literally the choir because I have um, nine uncles and aunts. Okay. And their kids, they all have like three to five kids. And so we were the youth and the combined choirs. So, and I had a cousin that played drums and just, we just, we were the church. Okay. Um, we had someone in every area and my mom and my grandmother and my aunts and uncles, they all taught um, Bible class. So of course you were there. Right. You had to be there. Right. And um, as we got older, you know, the dynamics changed. The church was rebuilt um, because it was, you know, it was an older building. Mm -hmm. And and basically the builders came out and, and uh, the inspectors told us that um, you don't have to leave, but this wall is coming down. <laughs> we can't tell you when. <laughs> um, but it will fall. Yes. And I just remember looking like, wait, what? So now that I'm older, I realize, okay, that was the foundation cracking. Mm -hmm. And I know, like, why it was separating everything. But I'm like, I don't know why the walls look like that. I don't know why that's happening, you know. And, I, and it's interesting, like, when I think about how church was and how they were built back then, like, our... Um, baptismal pool was underneath the pulpit right so and people look at me like what right i was like yeah I and was it, baptized in one that was underneath the pulpit mm -hmm. also yeah. you, you finish the sermon you move the, uh, the pulpit. it was a whole oh. process <laughs> had to take the chairs out had to roll mm -hmm. the carpet back had to move yep. the the pulpit the lectern because it wasn't fastened to the floor. Uh, they picked it up and moved it, and then they had to swing the base yeah. open, uh -huh. and, and, and this cement block was filled with water. So you were and, there? Oh, I... Uh, okay. Okay. I have seen it. But see, we were fancy. I have fancy. experienced it. We were fancy because the church down the street, theirs was outside. Yeah, I recall those, too. So, you yes. know, we were real fancy back then. <laughs> Thank you kindly. We had those awful... So coming up rows. in Scotlandville, Ooh. Oh, yeah. What did you, <laughs> as, as, as an adult, 
who I'm sure has to go back to Scotlandville and through Scotlandville from time to time. Mm-hmm. What do you think about when you see Scotlandville now as opposed to when you were a child? Hmm. North Baton Rouge has changed. I, I, I was it, raised in Southern Heights. And so lot. I was right around the corner. Yeah. And, and so I, 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 and when I go back into North Baton Rouge uh, and into Scotlandville, there, there's a lot about it that leaves me disappointed and, Very. and saddened. So I'm just curious what, what, what your take it's, on um, it is. I was actually driving down Progress um, probably about a week ago or so, because mm-hmm. we lived there for a stint before we moved to um, Scotland Villa Apartments when mm-hmm. they were built. My whole family moved there, it seems. I think we took over that neighborhood, too. But <laughs> <laughs> this is what we do. And um, <clears throat> it was an older house, but, you know, it was a, a beautiful neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Well taken care of, well groomed, and neighbors were awesome. and. We all had gardens and, you know, everyone shared and you, you never went hungry. And if you were put outside until, you know, don't come back till the streetlights come on. Right. Because you're letting out all the good air. Right. So you go outside, you find you something in your yard or you sneak across the fence to someone else's and you, you know, find something to eat. You go have a good time. And it was everybody looked out for everybody. Right. And now when I drive through there, it is it's really sad because a lot of the homes that were really prominent homes and that they're, they're they're gone or they are they're collapsed into just you know it needs to be taken down yeah um a lot of the neighborhoods they don't have anyone per se like looking after them like no one cares like what it looks like no one cares what their neighbor is doing if something happens to them like it's it's common for now i'm not going to say we didn't have crime yeah growing up yeah but you checked on each other right you know make sure you're okay they don't do that anymore and yeah. it's like the the poverty has taken over to the point where there's no education mm-hmm. the schools are looked over or closed mm-hmm. They, if they aren't bought out by um, or taken over by some type of um, charter school, they don't have anything. And I think that's wrong because everything on in North Baton Rouge side is failing. Yeah. Every single school is failing, and they don't seem to have a problem with that. And there's no money. But then you're building all of these elaborate schools on the south side right. and elsewhere. Right. You know, but I feel like North Baton Rouge is just getting left behind as if it doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. You know, the people look like they just, they've given up. Lack and of job opportunities. Lack of job uh, opportunities, yeah. Uh, as, as I said, I'm a little bit older than you. I'm, I'm 57, but I remember the Scotlandville that you're describing. Yeah. Grocery store down the street mm-hmm. uh, walk to the Breck Park go swimming yeah absolutely <laughs> um, those things are, are missing yeah. now uh, and I have to be careful about how I phrase this because I have friends who are, are working diligently trying to resurrect well, North, yeah. North Baton as Rouge. do I yeah. uh, uh, but I feel like Scotlandville is the red-headed, left-handed stepchild uh, mm-hmm. with a limp <laughs> that has been left behind. <laughs> and uh, it, it, it's really tragic. Uh, it, yeah. it, it really came to a head for me uh, a couple years ago when this move was on to move the zoo. 
uh, out of out of yeah, that's uh, North Baton Rouge to South Baton Rouge. They did not have any land. They did not have any prospects for any land. Mm-mm. All they knew was that the zoo needed to move mm-hmm. from North Baton Rouge to South Baton Rouge. And and I'm I'm glad that um, <laughs> there were powers that were able to stop that and yes. and force Breck uh, to reconsider uh, their investment in North Baton Rouge. But there needs to be greater uh, economic investment in North Baton Rouge. It, it, it uh, really does. And uh, and with the zoo, my thing was, why are you moving it? Just fix it. Yeah. How about you actually get some animals in there other than the birds that fly in? Yes. You know? Yes. And, and the ones that look miserable. Like, yes. Get some animals in there. Get some proper trainers. Fix up the environment, the habitats, and give people something to come to. People don't go because there's nothing there. Yeah. What am I, what am I going to go to a zoo for with no animals? I agree. It's I ridiculous. Agree. It's not North Baton Rouge. It's a matter of Breck taking care of the property. Yeah. Just like they're rebuilding all the parks, which is awesome. Because I, you know, as you said, you grew up in North Baton Rouge too. We had sand, and in that sand was, um, <laughs> it was a lottery of things that, we could, that did. could kill you, yeah. cut you, or right. you know, poison you. That's you just, right. you just didn't know. Yeah. You just got on the on the on the slides, on the swings, and you just went for it. That's you know, it. you come home, you with a couple of cuts, bruises, you yeah. may end up with glass in your hand or foot or whatever. But you know, it was fun. It was. We had merry-go-rounds. Yes, it made you tough. Yeah, jungle gyms. Yeah, you haven't fallen till you've fallen from the top of a jungle gym. <laughs> That's right. a fun experience. <laughs> That's always fun. Yeah. Or have your uncle push the uh, merry-go-round so fast that everybody flies off. Yeah, yeah. It builds character. <laughs> it Kids does. Kids don't know anything about that. It does. They all soft. They got these cushiony floors and all that in the parks now. Like what? Yeah. What's that teaching them? Making them soft. I agree. I don't like it. I, I, I totally agree. It's like agree. participation <laughs> trophies. I don't like it. I don't like participation trophies either. They don't go Either you won or you didn't win. And Thank if you, you didn't win, you don't get a trophy. And you don't put that in my trophy case. Right. It does not go on the shelf. Right. It is not displayed. It's not coming to my house. I agree. If you didn't win, you didn't win. You learn from that. When my children played uh, sports, they would not keep score on the scoreboard. They they, oh. they said that they just wanted the children to have the experience. It, it, but can I tell you, when they came off the court, each child knew what the score was. It didn't have to be on the scoreboard. Right. They kept score in their heads. And it, they knew when they won, and they knew when they had lost. Exactly. <clears throat> it's like saying the kids aren't smart enough to count. Yeah. To know how to calculate the score, like what, what? Yeah. Somebody's over there writing it down. You know, trust <laughs> me. Somebody's a little piece of paper here, like, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not, not, why? So you left Baton Rouge and you. I you, left. You, you, I had you to lived go. in other places. Mm, uh, I had to go. Uh, t- tell me about some of the places <laughs> where you lived. Well, I initially thought I was going to go to med school. Okay. And uh, somewhere along, like my mid of my junior year, I decided, you know, I wasn't happy, and I didn't know what I wanted. I started taking theater classes because I needed an elective, and I was like, I'm not taking any more science or math. Plus, you know, it was a little, uh, it's a little hard for me in those classes because I already learned that stuff in right. sixth grade. So I was like, I'm not doing this. <laughs> and the teachers didn't understand like how I could learn physics, you know, in an EBR school. I was like because I chose to. Right. 
why is it so hard for you? I can explain to you, but first we have to erase your, your work because it's wrong. Right. I got put out of class a lot. But anyway, after graduating, <laughs> I didn't exactly know what I wanted to do, which is crazy because it took me forever to get out. But my goal was to finish school and then figure out life. Okay. And upon finishing, I, a professor of mine from the theater called and said, what are you doing? I was like, I was like, what do you mean? It's like for the summer, like, what are you, are you working? Did you find a job yet? I was like, well, no, I'm still working with the community center, but that's about it. Mm -hmm. She's like, okay, I want to offer you a job. So she offered me a job to go up to um, Houghton, Michigan. Never heard of it. Didn't know it existed. How close is it to Detroit? It's not. Because <laughs> that's the only thing I know about it's Michigan. It's several Detroit. hours away. Okay. It is in what they call the UP, the Upper Peninsula of um, okay. Michigan. So once you get to Detroit and all these, you know, populated places, you're literally in the woods. You're in the mountains. The most beautiful, beautiful sights you've ever seen. It's like you can reach up and just touch the stars. So I went to Pine Mountain. This was in an era where we had phones, but there was no GPS. Okay. So I printed everything out on my computer <laughs> to drive 20 something dollars, I think it was. Wow. So my mom rode with me as far as Chicago because she was going to a conference and I had to ride the rest of the way, I think about, I don't know, maybe four, six hours or more to uh, get to Pine Mountain, and um, which was by, it's, it's by Michigan State. So you're crossing over the Great Lakes in order to get yeah. to this community? I was in that area. Okay. Yeah, so past all that, you can see Canada. It's like, it's crazy. <laughs> it's way, way up there. Okay. Um, it's one of those places, beautiful in the summer, don't get caught there in the winter. Okay. They don't get um, concerned until it hits the marks on the poles, which are about 20, 30 feet in the air or more. And that's when they saw it. Oh, well, I guess we should take some measures. You know? Wow. Yeah, no. But it's gorgeous <laughs> in the summertime. Yeah. Beautiful weather. And, you know, in the daytime, cool at night, you sit on the beach, you can relax and just chill. Mm -hmm. Well, it was the best experience because I got hired to do makeup and wigs, know nothing about it. She's like, yeah, but you deal with crazy. I was like, I do. I can do that. She said, they hired me to come up there and work with the um, the primary singers, and uh, which they want to do their own makeup. Okay, because mm -hmm. I'm still getting paid. That's mm -hmm. fine. And my job was to make sure their wigs were right, which okay. the lady who owned the wigs was very particular about who touched her babies because they were the least amount was $10,000. Really? She trusted no one. And my professor at the time, Margaret Wheaton, I think her name was, she's like, I got somebody. I promise. She doesn't work. We just, we don't have to find somebody else to get the wigs from. And I came up there and I sat with her and she said, what kind of experience do you have? I grew up in a salon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, I've worked on a couple of shows. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know nothing about this. I said, I'm here to learn. And she tried her best to discourage me and push me to see like how far she could go and mm -hmm. what she could say to make me go like, you know what? Screw all of this. I'm gone. I'm done. I'm done. And I was like, okay, um, is that all? And so she walked me through it and she left. She was like, if she leaves, 
my week's leave. I was only hired to work the first three weeks in um, Houghton, which was on the campus. So they extended my job through the rest of the summer because they had a tour. And they could not have anything from her unless I went with them. Wow. <laughs> the best job, the easiest. So when I got back, I was like, eh, I don't want to be here anymore. There's nothing here. It's, I'm not growing. I'm not stimulated. I have to go. I always wanted to go to New York. And I thought, hmm, what better time than to go than now? Never visited. Never did any of that. Called, called one of my friends, or she called me, and she said, you know, basically she's miserable. She hates her life. And I'm like, well, you know, you're not dating anybody. Well, I am. No, you're dating him, but he's not dating you. And the fact that you pretty much choked the kid out at school, I don't think you have a job anymore and your brother is making you crazy, let's just go to New York. <laughs> She's like, when? And by New York, you mean Manhattan, I'm assuming. Oh, absolutely. Okay. I'm so mad, girl. I didn't know that until I got there. <laughs> She's a Brooklyn. All Brooklyn. Okay. All the way. Okay. I didn't know. I was just like, I just want to go to New York. So she's like, you know how much those tickets cost? I was like, they're not that much. She's like, they're like crazy prices. I was like, oh, we're, good. we're not coming back. We're going one way. What do you need to come back for? Mm-hmm. She's like, but why are we just going to leave? We just left. And I, I basically packed up my house at the time. I had a giveaway slash garage sale and gave my mom the keys to my car. I, um, well, this is after I drove to Houston, picked her up, came back, and we went to the uh, airport and got on a plane one way with $1,000 in my pocket thinking, ah, that's enough. <laughs> That'll get you through Tuesday. Right. <laughs> Did not know that. Yeah. And um, thinking, okay, well, we have somewhere to stay because um, a friend of ours, I won't mention her name, um, she was, you know, we taking care of her throughout school and even when her family disowned her and all this yes come out there you can come stay with me until you find a place well less than 24 hours later I was put out like oh my my roommate doesn't want anybody here and this and that and she didn't have a roommate but anyway (laughs) less than 24 hours later after her dog peed on my air mattress because I was a um, I was a fancy homeless person I had an air mattress and packed up my stuff and she told me I had to go. I'm like, okay, fine, because we just got in the house at 4 a.m. I'm mm-hmm. like, I don't know how y'all live like this. Right. I've been on the street all day looking for a job, looking for a place to stay, doing all this. And um, suddenly I'm in, um, in Manhattan, West Side, beautiful area, had no idea where the heck I was, how to get anywhere. And I called my friend. She's like, what are you doing? I said, I'm trying to figure out how to get to a train station or a bus stop or something. Why don't you just ask her? Oh, she left. She said, figure it out. Okay. So I did. Mm -hmm. So fast forward, we're looking for a place. In the meantime, we met another friend from um, school. She's working at a gym. We go there, we shower, we get dressed, we go look for housing, we look for jobs, and uh, we come back. Oh, I talked to so-and-so. They have a friend who has a friend out here in Queens who lives out there in Jamaica, and da-da-da-da. They said, you can come stay over there. Okay, cool. So this went on for about a couple of months. <laughs> we stayed with some people. Sometimes they knew that we were staying there. Sometimes mm-hmm. they did not know. We just, you know, when the... Um, cleaning person came in to one apartment we had to get out real quick but um that's neither here nor there 
We didn't get caught. We didn't get arrested. We were fine. My parents are going to die when they hear this. Um, <laughs> didn't quite tell well, me. I'm, I'm listening to you um, tell this story, and, and I'm curious uh, because <laughs> as a parent, I would not want this for either one of my sons. How did you feel about it as you were doing it? Because you, I know you told me just a minute ago that your 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 mantra for life is if if it's something that you want to do, go and do it. Yeah. How did it feel when you were going and doing these things and you were being met with this kind of life resistance? <clears throat> lots and lots of resistance. Well, I learned that I don't want to ever go back and say I shoulda coulda woulda I don't have time I can't do it now Mm -hmm. and so a lot of that was in my head too I always lived my life in a way that everyone else wanted me to Mm -hmm. you need to go to school you know study medicine be a doctor be a lawyer do you know whatever do whatever they wanted me to do act the way they wanted me to act you know and etc so this was me saying this is my life I need to learn how to live my life for me Mm -hmm. and was it difficult? Absolutely. But, you know, I also remember that God takes care of his uh, children and his fools. And I am lucky enough to be one, one of both. So I'm double blessed. <laughs> I was able to get a place. We had a place with uh, the friend, the said friend that we met. And um, that didn't quite work out. Mm-hmm. I was not a Brooklyn girl. She's like, oh, I have a brownstone. I had three bedrooms, which actually was two bedrooms and a closet. But anyway, <laughs> it's New York. That's mm-hmm. what they do. And couldn't live there. Moved in with a, um, a friend of her friend's mom. Didn't know her friend lived there, too. And that he was telling everybody we were together. But anyway, um, moved in there. And he was a trainer. He said, hey, I have a client who's looking for an assistant. I said, cool, doing what? She said, HR. Don't know what that is, but I'm going. What time? So I went and I talked to them, which was supposed to be like a quick 10, 15-minute interview at the most. They told me when I was done, over two hours later, that he never talks to anybody more than five minutes. I convinced this man to give me a job working at a temp agency um, <laughs> as an assistant to the HR department. And I... Also told him, I say, I, my Excel is probably not excellent. I don't power. I don't point. My words per minute are probably, okay, they're really shaky. And I don't know how many I can do. Probably not that many. But this is a temp agency. Well, first of all, you were messed up because you were working with Microsoft, and you should have been on a Mac. But, Listen. But, but, but that's neither here. I didn't know what a Mac, oh, Microsoft, I didn't know what any of that was. And he goes, well, how did you get through school? I said, I do the same thing you're doing. I hired people. What do you mean? <laughs> they needed something. I needed something. We switched. We bartered. We traded. I, I paid people. You know, hey, I'll cook. You put this PowerPoint in there for me and show me how to do it, you know? Well, you'd be amazed at how much of that actually goes on. And, a lot. and maybe you wouldn't, but uh, it, no, it goes I do it every on day. quite a lot. Yes. I do it every day. And I was like, and they were, my friends were like, how is it possible that you can move to New York, never been here before, and get a job in Manhattan, find a place in Manhattan, living by yourself, not with seven other friends, and not work three, four, five part-time jobs. 
I was like, because I'm blessed. And you have low expectations of your life. All right. So let's talk about that. Because let's go. Bec- be- because you, you, you bring <laughs> up the whole aspect of being blessed. I am. Uh, clearly, you have a very infectious and vivacious personality. And, well, thank you, you. and you have a very positive outlook on life. But when you were met with all of these negative circumstances and they were hitting you in the face left and right, I imagine you got a whole lot of stunt work in. Left, right, left, yeah, right. Like, uh, duh. You know, Get the vibe uh, and weave. What role did your faith play in keeping you positive while you were going through? all of this experience. I know you were raised in the church, but Mm -hmm. you and I both know that a lot of people are raised in the church and at some point they leave the church and they go off on their own. You you do. Were you one of those people? Did you leave or did you? I didn't leave, but I went through my own struggles with, um, especially as a teen and um, going into my young adult life uh, years that I, I had a very horrible temper, horrible temper, very little patience, and was very reactive. And I realized at some point that if this doesn't change, I'm gonna either be dead or in jail by 18, 21 years old. Okay. You know, I was very combative, but I, I know now I understand why I was going through those things. And you know that, you know, it's, you have to talk about these things. You can't just bottle things up, mm-hmm. you know, but because of, you know, the environment I grew up in, you know, I grew up in North Baton Rouge. It was, it was not pretty. And my main goal was to get out. Right. I did not want my environment to be, you know, a factor in determining what my life would be. It, it did quite the opposite. This is not what I want. This is what I have to do to get that. So mm-hmm. when I went to New York, it was just like being in any other hood, you know? You had to learn how to adjust. Right. And my faith played a big role in that because I was like, okay, God, I'm out here. And when I, like when I was in Brooklyn, okay, listen, you already know what I'm about to tell you, <laughs> Jesus. I'm just, I can't do this whole Brooklyn thing, this whole commuting for an hour or two. Like, this is not me. And so next comes the job in Manhattan. And I'm like, they're like, well, why do you want the job? I said, because um, my roommate's mom told me that this brownstone is going to be done soon. And I need to be in that building. In order to be in that building, I need a job that can pay for that rent. Well, I got the uh I got the apartment. I was the first in the building. Got to choose the one I wanted. It's fabulous, of course. And it is a. It was a. Um, what do they call it? They call it a. Um, a luxury studio. Okay. <laughs> About the size of most people's bathroom, probably here. But <laughs> I think maybe like six hundred square feet and full kitchen, full bath. So you go to so IKEA luxury. and you get ideas about how you can furnish. Right. That Hadn't heard of IKEA. Feet. Found out real quick though. Yes. But I lived in Spanish Harlem. Love it. The culture there is amazing. Mm-hmm. Every culture. It's so diverse, and I learned a lot about a lot of people, and I learned a lot of little tidbits and different parts of their language in order to get good deals. So that's how you, you got to right. learn things like that. So when things came up to me, I'm like, I didn't really get upset about it. Where are you going to stay tonight? I don't know. I mean, we'll figure it out. It'll be fine, you know? And they're looking at me like, you, you're insane. Probably. Well, yeah, yeah, probably. But I have a degree that tells me that I'm fine. Mm-hmm. So cause my degree is in psychology. I'm good. So I I never got really 
I guess, frustrated or upset. There were times when I was like, oh, my God, what are we doing? Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, all right, Lord, well, what, where, we, where do we go next? You know, I just need direction. And so I tell you what, though, it, it when I first got there, it increased my prayer life. When I left, it was because it was the opposite. I felt the city itself was taking me away from that. And I could see it, you know, and no matter what, like it was just, it, it's, it's funny how God operates. The brownstone I had was across the street from a church. And no matter what kind of craziness we got into, because it was in New York, we leave at, you know, you go out one o'clock in the morning, you come back 10, 11 o'clock in the morning. You know, <laughs> you stay out all night, every night, you party, you have a good time. My job had me going everywhere to, you know, Broadway shows, I had to go to concerts, I had to take, you know, we had to go to smooth with people and take them out to dinner. So I was always on the go. And it's all these dark elements that would come at me. But I noticed them most of the time, but not all the time. Mm-hmm. And when I did, I knew, you know, as I, I felt it, I guess, taking over my spirit, I really like dampening on my spirit. And I knew I had to get out. Mm-hmm. I was like, I love New York. But it's a place where I can love, but I have to leave. I would have to make sure that I would leave and go somewhere and know that there are trees and there's clouds and there's sunshine and there's happiness outside of the smog and the buildings. Mm -hmm. There are trees that grow out of the ground, not surrounded by concrete. And dogs actually go in the grass. So I had to leave. When I um, was there, though, my faith was all I relied on because how else am I here? I don't know anything about this city. I've never been here. I don't really know anybody. And I've never been this far away from home for this long. I just, I went for it. I was like, let's just do it. Did you maintain a relationship with your parents and your siblings back here while you were in New York or? It was strained. (laughs) It was strained. I maintained a relationship with my mom. I um, was fortunate enough to be able to take care of her and help her out quite a bit. And and, um, my father, on the other hand, was not so happy. Um, We actually did not talk for a bit. And um, because I learned that we're a lot alike. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, you guys traveled. You tell me about how you traveled all the time growing up. And, you know, and even when I was a kid. So why keep me from exploring? Like, why don't you understand this? Because I'm a young lady and young ladies don't do that, mm-hmm. especially not alone in cities where they don't know anyone. Right. And I just didn't understand that. And so me being me, I was like, well, I'll talk to you when you have something positive to say. I have to go do things. <laughs> so... Yeah, I, I did that. I, I did that, but I, it was it was um, it was different. Um, they started. I think my relationship got better when they started to see me on TV and commercials and things. And my mom's like, "Get my daughter's in New York." And so talk about that. So, you, 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 know. you did television. You did commercials. I did commercials. Uh, I understand that you have a beautiful singing voice. <laughs> and uh, uh, I hope to hear that singing voice sometime very soon at the Shiloh Missionary Baptist <laughs> Church of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Somebody's been threatening me. <clears throat> but uh, <laughs> uh, when you have that kind of talent... Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, acting talent, organizational talent, yeah. a degree in psychology, the ability to sing, the ability to do stunt work. It's hard. 
you have all of this that is that that is a part of the makeup of who you are. Yeah. And yet life is saying, I don't care what you got. We ain't letting you in. We're, we're, we're not pushing. We're not going to open the door and let you mm-hmm. in. That has to be frustrating. It is. It's, it's very frustrating. And yet you seem to have such an upbeat <laughs> personality. Were you this transparent as you were going through this? Or does the transparency yeah. come as you reflect back on it? I think the transparency comes as you get older and you learn, because in the midst of it, you can't show your poker face. Mm-hmm. You got, you got. Well, you have to have a poker face. I'm not good. I don't play cards, but that's okay. So you you can't show people what you're thinking. You can't mm-hmm. show them how you feel, especially in New York. You cannot show any sign of weakness, and that's what I learned out there. Mm-hmm. Um, even when I was in Michigan, you know, it was the same thing. You can't show any weakness because these people will eat you alive. Mm-hmm. And then they were really upset when they found out that the um, <laughs> one of the producers was trying to get me to um, come into the production as a singer. He's like, have you ever sung that opera? I was like, no, I just learned some Italian and stuff when I was in chorus. I just learned about it. I know the background of it, but I don't sing. He's like, that's not what I'm hearing. Because mm-hmm. I was next to a practice room. And so... I was like, that is wrong. And so I'm just singing to myself. (laughs) Having been given talents and abilities and blessed with the ability to just, you know, help people and open people up, which is is strange to me sometimes. It still still catches me off guard. Um, But you majored in psychology. uh, It was mostly with... um, Part of the work of a psychologist is to get people to open up and feel comfortable. This is true. I, I, in my mind, though, you know, when, you, when you're younger, you don't know the whole aspects of it, but I'm just thinking, I want to help kids. Okay. And my mom worked with a um, juvenile, the North Baton Rouge Juvenile Delinquency Prevention Program, okay. which was, you know, one of those things that got axed by a former governor. And, um... Jindal? Hmm. Hmm. That's not what I call him. But, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, after school programs, uh, music programs, all these things got axed. Yeah. To put the money towards building a bigger and better juvenile facility. Yes. Because we're good at building prisons. I, I don't understand that, and I yeah. never will. I'm sorry, juvenile detention centers. A juvenile not, detention not, center. Not prisons, forgive me. Yeah. Sorry, Governor General, I, I didn't mean prison, I meant juvenile detention Well, I meant prison. Center. Um, <laughs> He's sorry, I'm not. Um, it's wrong. It's, it's very wrong when you have a program that is has proven time and time again that it is successful, mm-hmm. and these kids are growing, and they're not on the streets, and they're not a menace, and they want to go to school, and they their grades are going from failing to honor roll. Mm-hmm. Why would you stop that? Yes, it's ridiculous. But I, I just I think about all those things. Um, that's one reason why I wanted to get into psychology is because I wanted to work with children, and I wanted to be able to work with patients. I wanted to see patients for. Um, I had an, had an interest in biomedical engineering because I had an uncle who passed away of Asian Orange, so it's a cancer of the brain, and there's not a lot of research. There's still not enough research being done on that. Right. And so. That was a part of the thing that kept me kept me kind of sane as a teenager because I would get you know engrossed in my work in science and um, 
and with biology and things of that sort. Mm-hmm. So I thought for a long time that's what I wanted to do, but I didn't realize till later it was actually a coping skill for me with his death. So I still enjoy it and I love, you know, working, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. And so when I got to New York, I realized that I didn't know myself. I didn't know myself because I didn't know I had the strength that I had. I didn't know I had the abilities to do the things that I did. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that I can go and command a room and get a job doing something I knew nothing about, didn't even know what HR meant until two weeks into the job. Mm -hmm. Um, I know now it's human resources, of course, but (laughs) (laughs) I was like, yeah, I'm an HR specialist. Um, They're like, what? What is that? I was like, I don't know, but you need a job? Come in. (laughs) Like, this is what's crazy. My friend that went up there with me called her in. I said, I got the job, come in tomorrow. Um, I want you to fill out an application. And so I'm gonna send you on some little smaller ones. I'll get get them to, you know, interview her, you know, which wasn't hard. She's great. She's my friend. Of course she's great. So she got in, she got in on the lower level. I said, she's like, but I'm gonna need more and it's not gonna work. Be patient. I said, we have an account that we're working on. It's an upper level account. And I just need you to come in on your days off and get your numbers up. She got her numbers up. She got the job. She's still there to this day since 2003. So you you positively impacted someone's life. Absolutely. I did it all the time. And you've done it several times. I have. I I love it. I don't. And the crazy thing is I don't even realize it half the time. Did I read in your bio that at some point you made the move to San Diego? Yeah, that wasn't smart. So how did you get from New York to San Diego? And was it a straight shot or were there steps in between? Um, no, it was a straight shot. Um, I got there by not listening, by not <laughs> um, going with the discernment and the common sense that God had given me. Okay. And I went in the opposite direction, you know. Um, San Diego was very different from New York. San Diego was difficult for me. I was so conditioned within the, those few years of being in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. I lived in Manhattan. I worked in Manhattan. I uh, was on 42nd Street. I could see the ball drop from our conference. It was it was beautiful. It was right. perfect. I didn't know that. And I had gotten so conditioned to the culture of it all. You know, the, the noises didn't bother me. The sounds, all these things that you're like, oh my God, how do people live here? It became comforting. Right. And when I moved to San Diego, it was like taking a city girl and putting her in the middle of the woods and saying, figure it out. And, I, and, and one of my biggest concerns was, wait, I don't, you don't have a car service? I have to drive myself? What is this? <laughs> you don't have subways? Like, what? And they're like, no, princess, you have to drive yourself. Yes. Which I grew up in Baton Rouge. It doesn't make sense. But in my mind, this is very... Very strange for me. Well, the other thing is San Diego is one of the most expensive cities it in the is, country. It's disrespectful. Yes. I moved there uh, because I was engaged to be okay. married. And he was in the Navy at the time. And that's where he was. And I'm like, well, I, you have to go where they tell you. I guess I can, I'm more mobile. So I decided to move there. Okay. And um, after there, we went to Jacksonville. And Jacksonville, then, Florida. Jacksonville, Florida. So you left San Diego, right, on the Pacific coast, right, and moved to Jacksonville on the Atlantic. I don't even coast. have to explain it to you. I knew then my marriage was over. <laughs> I was like, this man does not love me. 
I have not lived in the heat and in the South in years. Yeah. I'm not even, when I fly home, I told my mom, I said, it feels like when I walk off the plane, someone, you know, attaches a, a, um, like a ziplock or like some plastic on my face the humidity is, and they is say, awesome. take a deep breath. Yeah. And I'm like, I can't breathe. Why would you bring me down here? The first time I went to the beach in the East Coast, I almost passed out yeah. at a wedding. I was just like, I, I can't do this. I can't do it. It's too much. And I was not a huge fan, but Jacksonville was a blessing in the sense that that's where my life took another turn. Okay. And uh, he was in the military, as I said, and he was gone all the time. And my daughter was getting older, and I, I decided to stay home with her until she was a little bit older. I didn't want to put her in a daycare um, as an infant. And I was right to uh, listen to that voice because the child care center he wants to put her in. I was like, no, I don't trust it. I don't like it. Um, they don't speak English. And I'm fine with them teaching her Spanish or whatever you know language they want. But I need them to be able to speak English. I need to know what's going on with my child. Sure. Well, turns out I was right. My instincts were right because the place was raided. They got an, uh, a, a tip that, I, I guess, um, what do you, the Border Patrol, what's the people that come in? ICE. ICE was coming Immigration. in. Yeah. Uh, they okay. were told that, you know, they were coming in that area. They left the kids at the daycare, and no one knew until, like, a toddler was walking down the street, and one of the neighbors called oh, the God. police to say, there's kids walking down the street and they're like they're outside and they're just you know and they had to go and you know gather the children and call the parents and I was just like I'm still being deemed um, overprotective and that's just one incident I'm like yeah but it's one we can avoid right so and I'm glad I did so when I got to Jacksonville I said you know well I want to go back to work because I'm getting stir crazy at this point right <laughs> it's almost two years that I stay home with her so you know, I had taught her everything and t taught her sign language so that we ha wouldn't have this communication issue and started teaching her different languages. And and um, I was like, I have to go back to work. What am I going to do? I didn't want anybody else raising my child. I didn't want anybody telling me that, oh, you know, she does this and she likes that, you know. So I prayed about it and... I'm a creature of habit. Went to go and pick up my food. I called and they said, hey, it's me. I, oh, you know, he's like, you want, you want your usual? Like, yes, I want my usual. I get there, I pick it up, I go back to the house and we'll sit by the pool or what have you and, and relax and, you know, it was a hard life. And um, <laughs> I know it sounds, it's not that, it's not that interesting though. But they um, didn't have my food ready. And I'm like, what do you, what do you, what do you mean? I ordered the same thing every time. It wasn't ready. And I had to, they said, it's going to be a little while. We backed up. I'm like, okay. And so I was like, all right, I have to take the baby out of the car. Like, this is ridiculous. And so I go inside and I'm sitting there and I'm waiting and I'm waiting probably about 15, 20 minutes. And I, decide, and I look over, I'm like, this is ridiculous. And I look over and I grab a magazine off one of those, you know, career magazine racks with like the city, local things. Right. So I'm flipping through it and I see something that says um, medical aesthetics. And I'm like, hmm, what is that? Sounds interesting. It was medical. That's up my alley. I'll just try that out. Go to the school, talk to the counselor. 12 years later, I am a medical esthetician and I have several certifications in it. I really so tell me it. what a medical 
Esthetician. Esthetician. I want to make sure I yes. said it correctly. Yes. Tell me exactly what that is. I think I know, but but well, please help me. Yes, we have um, aesthetic schools here. Mm -hmm. They are um, aesthetic schools, but the medical esthetician is just simply the difference is you're simply trained to do medical procedures. So you can work alongside doctors and nurses in a mm -hmm. medical procedure and dermatology and medical spas and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, so you contract your services out to different physicians? You can. You okay. can. Or you can just work with them um, um, on staff. Uh, you help with... Um, our job is to do skin care. And so okay. the doctors would write up the orders and say, this is what I need them to do. This is what I need you to do to their skin today. Blah, blah. You know. Okay. And so we're just trained on a higher level. And in the particular school that I went to, they were serious about it all. Okay. Um, we had to study um, biology, anatomy, physiology, biology, chemistry. Oh, yeah. um, we had to create products. Um, we, we would have to, we would get tested all the time. Like you walk in and Bob's in there with little tags on and Bob's the, the um, skeleton. And we're like, oh man, Bob, why? Why? <laughs> what do you want? And you grab a note card and it's randomness. It's like, okay, tell me about this muscle group and, and how it affects you know, these organs or what you're doing about you know, all these questions. And as you're doing facials, she would stop you and say, where are your hands? Like, what are you doing? Why? You know, we would have to go through the whole motion of it all. Mm -hmm. And all the products, none of the products had um, labels. And if they did, they were turned around because you, it was your job to figure out what that was, the product was, who was for, what are contraindications, and what it's best for. And so that's how they taught us. Okay. And midway through my program, they hired me to teach <laughs> because I have a bachelor's. They're like, well, I'm a teacher who was pregnant. She had to take some time off, and we need someone to fill in for the evening. And I was mm -hmm. just like, I'm, I'm still in school. What are you talking about? You know, another blessing in disguise. They hired me as um, an instructor in the evening time to help with the lab and some of the lectures to fill in for her. Craziness. And... Um, they also gave me a job as a student aide. So I was just like, how am I going to pay for all this? And every time I look around, God's putting everything in place. And so I just I just went with it. But estheticians do skincare, we do waxing, we do makeup. I do um, cosmetic makeup, which is a semi-permanent type of makeup, like a tattooing for the brows. Yeah. And, and I'm not familiar with it, but I've heard yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah, all the crazy, you know, okay. all the crazy. You know, we, we the people that put on the, the butterflies that people fan you with on their eyelashes and stuff. I don't do that. <laughs> don't call me for that because I'm not. I'm not. But we, it, it's all in skincare, but it seems to me, I was telling um, my former pastor, well, he's still my pastor just like barack is still my president um i told him i said it's it's reverend strange. jackson yes yes hey and so <laughs> he's been a guest on on, on the podcast I and, know. And, and he frequently listens and views so hey pj tell him hi <laughs> see i'm behaving myself I'm, yes i'm doing good so <laughs> i told him um it, it was strange i, I under him, I grew so much spiritually, and it was, it, it's been the most amazing journey. I was baptized, um, and um, my daughter and I and my niece were all baptized together in 2013. I so he rebaptized you mm -hmm. because you were baptized as a child? I was baptized as a child. Okay. And um, with everything that I had been through and um, everything that I'd seen and 
you know, experience in life, it got to a point where you know, all that didn't matter and mm-hmm. it came full circle. And then we started these teachings and these lessons and it just all kind of honed in for me and mm-hmm. it all kind of started, started bringing things together and made sense. And I realized that, you know, um, God gave me a huge, huge decision to make. Either you can follow me or you can keep doing what you're doing. And I know that I can't be successful without him there. And I was working in New Orleans at the time, like three to five times a week, working on a show and um, performing. Which show? Um, it's it, it was a, a stage play, a live sitcom. Okay. Called, um, I was about to say Ambition. <laughs> Driven, Ambition is a magazine we work on. Okay. <laughs> Driven, and um, which is now being shopped for a um, television series, so by another name, but um, loosely based on Driven. So um, I told them I, I I can't do it because you know every time I would get a new schedule with them, something would happen at the church where. I would have to be there or have a class or a rehearsal of some sort or, you know, one of the ministries I, was, I would, you know, had agreed to work with. It's always a conflict. It was every time I decided to do something here, God said, all right, well, I, I need you to do this. You don't have to make a decision. And um, we were reading uh, Blackaby's book at the time. And, you know, as they say all the time, when God says move, the time to do it is now. Mm-hmm. If he is speaking to you, you need to listen, you know, and that was a really, really difficult decision for me, but I knew I needed to do that. And people were like, oh, you're going to be a minister? What are you doing? Why are you taking all these classes? I'm like, because I need to know. Because yeah. the other things in my childhood, like I've read the Bible my entire life and I didn't, I felt like I wasn't learning anything. Right. Like I was learning things for the first time mm-hmm. and I loved it mm-hmm. and I grew from it and it helped me become a better person and just like he told me I had to make a decision everything was given back to me and better you know it's a matter of trust me on this journey let me lead you I'm gonna tell you what's going to go on when you need to know and it's a matter of do you trust him right do you have faith enough to walk forward and do that right and I've been tested and tried like that often in my life where I am given you know, these decisions to make and I have to weigh them and think, you know, do I want to do it my way or do I want to wait for direction? Yeah. Do I want to move forward and take control of this and ask questions afterwards and ask for, you know, pray for it, for it afterwards? That's the wrong answer. If yeah, you're wondering, typically. um, yeah, I found that out. Yeah. Um, I've had, uh, failed businesses, you know, I've, I've failed ventures and things, but they weren't failures. Well, I found that you learned more from failure than you do I did. From, from success. I, anyway. I did. Yeah. I did. So um, I, I learned a lot from him. And um, I've grown a lot in the ministry. And I, um, I sing with the praise and worship team, which was crazy. Another one of the things I had to make a decision about. I was like, no, I'm, I'm not doing that. I don't, I don't do praise or worship. I don't even get up that early. So we want from me. It was 747 as I recall. It still is. It's still 747. 747 and 1047. Okay. And 
the, and, and he um, has never explained to me the 47 as opposed to 45 or 50. It uh, is basically from what I got, it was marketing. Okay. You know, because if people are conditioned to hearing those, you know, even numbers, 745, 8 o'clock, you know, when you say 747, people are like, wait, what? Yeah. 747? And they think, like, so not 745? No, 747 and 1047. And so it, it, it kind of gets the conversation going, you know, and they're like, okay, well, I got to go see, like, what, what's going on at 747 <laughs> that we can't do at 8 o'clock or right. 745. So right. from what I gather, because it was before my time, uh, it's marketing, you okay. know, basically. It, it's just it's just conversation starter. And so now I, I sing with the praise and worship, and um, which is crazy. He'd been asking so me you'll for sing several at Star years. So you'll sing Hill, but you won't sing at, Listen, at see, see, what happened was... Um, <laughs> Um, Star Hill is going to be looking for you yeah. because I've been over here. I'm fat and slow. They don't have they don't have to look very hard. I don't run. I'm in the same spot. If you're looking for me, here I am. Yeah. No. So so <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> so, yeah, I um, I sing with first. I still sing with first service there, but I come here. For second and I'm service. very grateful for that. And I am too. And 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 you I, know, really I don't know if you know this. But you, you know, you're pretty good at what you do. Well, you're a pretty you. good I, teacher. I appreciate you know, that. you thank know, you, you got a couple you. words out there. You know, thank you. Reach the Very people. Kind. Yeah. I was like, all right. We are long, but that's okay long, because there are a couple of questions I want to ask, and clearly we're going to have to have you back uh, again for a part anytime, two. Anytime, anytime. But you've lived in different parts of the country. Yes. You're a young adult, young African American uh, woman entrepreneur mm -hmm. uh, what drew you back to Baton Rouge family You've, okay so 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 it was a family thing. Mm -hmm. family I did not have the family structure that I desired to have for my daughter in Florida so within a matter of 72 hours <laughs> that'll be on part two <laughs> 72 hours I packed up and I moved back to Baton Rouge because I did not want my daughter to grow up. Like I had an, an awesome village there, an extended family and friends that could play those roles, but I wanted my daughter to be able to grow up with family and um, have the values that, you know, instilled in her that we had and grow up with my parents, you know, have the joy and mm -hmm. the privilege of growing up with your grandparents. Mm -hmm. She didn't have that because her other grandparents, they're, they're more distant. They don't have that family circle or that love, you know, in connection with their family. And I don't want her to think that that's normal, okay. you know? So I was like, I have to come back. And it's too hot. If I'm that hot and miserable, I might as well come home. <laughs> like, there's no reason for me to stay out there if it's disrespectful. I didn't like it. And so the only thing I did like, I did like working out there in aesthetics mm -hmm. it's much more um profitable and much more of a um a need as opposed to mm, just something you do on the side you know it is a necessity in florida as opposed to just a bonus in life like we have kind of here you know mm -hmm. um and uh it pays a lot more in florida so i knew all this going in like i took about a 50-60% pay cut. And I'm like, okay, so almonds it is, maybe peanuts, and um, I don't know what we're gonna do, but we're gonna be fine. Mm -hmm. And I moved back home 
and I stayed with my aunt for a bit, which she thought I was just visiting. Um, no, <laughs> I moved because they had no idea everything was going on in my life. Like the school I worked for and I attended, they didn't know until, you know, um, one day I had to tell them what was going on. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you've been going through all of this and you, how, how? Because I was top of my class. I, um, which is what I do. That's what I have to do. I was like, when I enjoy something, you know. Right. When I don't, you know, I'm not going to do well. I was top of my class, and I was, you know, I had the highest GPA in the school of, of all the programs. And they were like, how are, you, how are you doing this? And you're going through all this drama in your personal life. I said, that's two different lives. This is my personal life. This is my work. This is my school. Because this is a part of my present that is soon to be my past. Mm-hmm. I'm working on my future. I cannot allow my past to direct and control my future. I have a daughter to to raise and to be an example for. I have nieces and nephews to be an example for. I have family and friends that look up to me. I don't have time to deal with what is not working in my life. This is not a factor. This is what I'm working on. Mm-hmm. Everything in front of me, behind me, is simply what it is. It's behind me. And so I didn't let that show until like one day I was transparent and I had to tell them and they mm-hmm. sat and looked at me like you're looking at me like mm-hmm. wait what I was yeah well yeah. and it, it's fine you know I know people with your type of personality mm-hmm. and typically there is a story behind that yeah that uh, they're reluctant to dig into or delve into uh, too openly. Yeah. I sense that there's a story there oh, that yeah. uh, we haven't quite gotten to in the time that we have spent together. So oh, we haven't even so, touched the surface. So we're <laughs> going to have to get to a part two. Yeah. Uh, closing this, this part one out, mm-hmm. let me ask you this question. Since you have been back in Baton Rouge after you've lived in all of these other places, New York and Michigan and Jacksonville and San Diego, do you regret, and I know it's a family thing, do you, re, do you regret seeing what's going on in Baton Rouge, the, the, the political issues that, that this community and this state mm-hmm. faces, the brain drain that is clear in this yeah. area, the problems of unemployment and, and the problems of systemic racism that still mm. uh, exist and are profound in this community. Do you regret coming back to Baton Rouge? No, I, I think it's just full circle. Um, I left because I needed to. I needed to learn, and I needed to see that life was different, and it made me understand and appreciate where we are and what we have here, and um, understand the seriousness of it. When I was in New York, I didn't experience racism and all that. It's 140 different languages in New York. People aren't rude. They don't know what you. They don't know what you're saying half the time. They just don't know. And you know the same thing when I was on the West Coast. I didn't experience that. But when I came back down south, even in Jacksonville, reality hit. Mm-hmm. Jacksonville is no different from here. The racism, the separatism, that that everyone's separate. You know, either financially, racially, all of it. It's the same. And it's just. Like I said, if I'm going to be in this environment, I may as well go home. Mm-hmm. And I hate to see like what's happening in our community and the lack of 
people that take initiative or they I don't like to see people that stand up to be in front of someone just to be in front to be seen mm -hmm. but they don't get anything done mm -hmm. and there's a lot of that that goes on people talk a good game posture yeah 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 oh we, we're gonna have this and we're gonna come in and we're gonna make this happen and how are you gonna do that you right. don't have a plan right how are you going to do things without a plan? You, you should have all this mapped out. Right. And then that's when you reach out and you pull people from the community to help you because we are in this together. We should be. How are we going to rebuild the community if the community is not willing to rebuild itself? If the people in the community are not willing to help themselves, mm -hmm. if they've given up because people are telling them constantly and beating down on them, this is where you are, this is where you're going to stay, this is what you're worth. I am a firm believer I do not let people tell me what my worth is. Did that once, made that mistake, I learned from it. I'm glad I did, because now I know yes. that you cannot allow your situation, your circumstances, your community, what have you, guide or just take over who you are. You have to look within yourself, look within your faith, whatever that may be, and find who you are. and. You have to take control of those reins, but you have to be willing to do it. You have to be willing to pull away from your so-called friends mm -hmm. that are in your circle that are not. If your friends in your circle are in the same situation that you're in, they're not your friends, nor mm -hmm. are they your circle. They are a prison. You're putting yourself in a cage. You're building walls around yourself. You're limiting yourself. You should have someone in your circle of, of friends and associates and business that can help you grow, that can inspire you, that can challenge you, and make you reach for higher things in life. And if your friends or the people around you are not doing that, then they don't need to be in your life. Okay, you grew up together, you've been friends for 20 plus years. You have to learn how to let things go. Mm -hmm. And what our community has to do is let go of the past in the sense that Yes, these things happen. Yes, things are in, in ruins. Things are not where they should be. Let's, we, we have that. We know that. Let's use that as energy, as fuel to get together, to come up with a plan and actually go through with it. You know, there's little things that are happening, you know, little regrowth here and there. And I don't understand why people are fighting it. Like, why are you fighting rebuilding the community? And making it what it was, well, not making it what it was, making it better. Mm -hmm. You know, and that that's the thing that disappoints me about being here and about being in the city and like and the lack of opportunity, the lack of job opportunity, the lack of culture. Um, like we need more arts in our community. We need to be exposed to that. Our kids don't see you know, outside of their neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. We had kids that I worked with that never even left Baton Rouge. They'd never been to the mall. You know, it's down the street. I understand. And they don't have a problem with that. It's like, we have to, and, and that's the one thing that I do with my daughter. I try to involve her in everything I do. Everyone knows that if you see me, you see her. That's my mini-me, that's my shadow. Because I want her to experience those things in life. Right. You know, she had more frequent flyer miles by the age of three than most adults have in their <laughs> life. Because we, if I'm going, if I'm coming, it's in my contract. She's coming with me. I understand. And if that's a problem, 
I cannot work for you. You know, she travels with me. My vacations are built around what we can do together. You know, no, I don't want to go on a girl's trip and wild out. I'm too old for that, first of all. Second of all, I'm not Stella. I don't have nothing to find. I don't have no groove. I'm not looking for none. So we just, I just want to go and enjoy life. Sure. And take her on these experiences, you know, and show her that there are more things in life than what you see in front of you. There are things in this world that you haven't seen. There are things in this world that you're going to learn. And I want you never to be afraid to go after them and to look for them and to move towards them. Like our business, she came up with the second half of it. The name of my company is Phoenix Air Spa. Air as in H-E-I-R, Air to the King. She came up with that part. I had Phoenix. I was like, but it's missing something. I don't know what it is. And she came home one day. They had been studying about, you know, different kingdoms and things. And, um and heritage and all these things. And she said, Mommy, I got it. Air, why not air? I said, what do you mean? No, not air, air, H-E-I-R. Because we were talking about it with PJ once, being an heir to the king, you know, and, and representing the king and being the church. And that all came into play when it came to coming up with the name of our business. And because um, as I was telling him, um, PJ, I, my business has become an aesthetic slash counseling service. Mm -hmm. People get on the table and everything comes out. They start talking. They start talking and they start praying and we pray together and I pray over them. They don't always know, but it's like they're telling me things and I'm just like, oh, I can feel in their spirit and their energy mm -hmm. that they're going through something and they may not be talking about it. So I, I tap into that and that's the one thing that's difficult about the job that I do because I tend to take on those things, yeah, and it's it's hard for me. You have to develop a professional distance. Yeah, but so one of the things that I am acutely aware of is that people have a need to be listened to. Yes, yes. They talk, but very few people listen. Exactly. Listening is a skill that we have lost. Yes. We wait for yes. people to run out of breath so mm -hmm. that we can throw our thing in mm -hmm. there. But but actually listening to what someone is saying and what they are going through. They don't understand that. They don't get it. They don't get it. They don't get They're it. waiting to jump in. It's like double dutch. They're just waiting to jump in at right. the right time. Like, right. when am I going to get in? And then it becomes a competition. Yeah. It's you like think you got a problem. Baby, let me oh, tell you what I've been going you. through. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'll tell people, let me tell you something. If a hearse can't take me out, nothing can take me out. <laughs> I'm good. That's a story for another time. We've got for to two. stop. I know. Thank you so much for taking yes. the time, Ms. Bird. Thank I you. Really appreciate it has it. been my pleasure. And I can't wait to hear that beautiful singing voice very, very soon <laughs> in the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church, 185 Eddie Robinson Senior Drive. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you for viewing. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again next time.